Today's sponsor is Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash recode and using the promo code recode. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. This is Too Embarrassed to Ask, a podcast that's all about making technology easier to understand and use. If you have questions about technology that you've been too embarrassed to ask, well, you've found the right podcast. Our motto is, no question is a bad question, although there are bad questions. So send us yours. Submit your questions in advance by tweeting them to at Recode, to me at Kara Swisher, or to my regular co-host Lauren Good, at Lauren Good, with the hashtag Too Embarrassed. That's two R's and two S's in embarrassed in case you cannot spell. And you can find all our past episodes on iTunes.com slash Too Embarrassed Ask. And while you're there, leave us a review. Lauren Good is again off this week, still cavorting in Hawaii, but in her place, I am delighted to welcome Recode's expert on all things alphabet. It used to be called Google, Mark Bergen. Hi, Mark. Hi. So how is that alphabet thing going? And, and they changed their name, obviously, from Google. They did to change hide their themselves. name. To hide we know themselves. who they are. Uh, it's still pretty, you know, pretty heavy on the Google. What's the, what's but, the new know, story that, is going the on? The story is that they're trying to prove that the Google is where the, all the um, innovation is, which is, yeah. which is partly yeah, true. Yeah, like, just all, a little startup. Yeah, a tiny little startup. Uh, they are doing the virtual reality. Um, all the virtual reality efforts are still in Google, um, and a lot of most of the AI and machine learning are still inside Google. Yeah, and you, but with some of your recent stories, you wrote about Nest, Tony Fidel leaving Nest, their home automation efforts, all linked into the same idea. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it was kind of when they formed it. I've learned that there really wasn't much of a plan, and that was intentional. Mm-hmm. Sort of, we're going to just That's do this. That's what they tell you. But I mean, that was we're going to evolve this as it goes, and most people inside the company had no idea it was coming, mm-hmm. and, and they're still trying to figure out what it means. And and they've had a fair amount of uh, big hiccups, um, Nest, and then they've had some issues with Verily, their healthcare company, and you know, it's like unclear. Maybe two years from now, the whole alphabet structure will look completely and the, different. And the moonshots and everything else. And funny. all the moonshots. They're not calling it moonshots anymore. What are they calling big it? Big other bets. The bets. Bet, the bets, really? The oh, bets. they're just like, they've gone more earthly on us. They're not going to the moon. Yeah, maybe <laughs> they're like, not going to the moon. There's a little maybe and, like and they're pinching, Asia Minor. Yeah. <laughs> Asia Minor shots. But that's good. Yeah, they're pinching like that. pennies a little bit. Yeah. At least that's I mean, that's kind of what's happening, and that's the sort of the, the spin that they're putting. But out. you did write about Google Fiber, which is their attempt to get in on the cable biz. Google Fiber, yeah. Google Fiber is, uh, I think, they're they're most interesting, and in, in, you know, it's not self-driving cars, it's not drones, um, but it's it's possibly the one business that could. Um, supplant to be the next big thing after search, right? Sure. That's what this Which whole is thing is about: is finding something else. A hundred percent, right? Well, it is nice. They are ambitious. Uh, someone call it narcissistic, but uh, not me. But it's, <laughs> their ambitions are nice for for Silicon Valley. And one of the areas and themes at Google I/O this year, which you covered so beautifully, was artificial intelligence, and that's what we're talking about today on Too Embarrassed to Ask. It was also a topic that came up a lot at the Code Conference with mm-hmm. Facebook and many others talking about it. Half of them talking about a happy, shiny future of artificial yep. intelligence. Yep. The single voice who didn't was Elon Musk, who uh, envisions a future in which, at very best, we become house cats to our computers, just mm-hmm. pets, and a little scary. He had a lot of, and he has open AI and all kinds of things, so that I think he's worried that it gets concentrated in very few hands, artificial yep. intelligence. I think he was talking about Google, very specifically, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and if not, slash Facebook, slash Apple, but that a very few group of people control a lot of computing. Mm-hmm. Um, so last week on the show, we talked about robots, so this is sort of unofficial part two to that podcast. In a few minutes, we're going to welcome our special guest, James Cham from Bloomberg Beta. But first, Mark, let's talk about the basics here so people understand. What do companies like Google mean when they say artificial intelligence? Is that HAL from 20, 2001, a space odyssey? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, Maybe someday soon. I think so. I mean, I think, you know, the, uh, there's some that say, and I think it's true, artificial intelligence is just, it's just math, right? Mm-hmm. It's just software. 
Um, and in some ways, it's kind of the same. Remember, the term big data was very trendy for a while. Sure. Um, you know, the, the biggest application that tech companies use in AI right now is machine learning, which is essentially kind of looking at big chunks of heaps of data and then finding patterns in that. So you can do that with speech recognition. You can do that with computer vision. So Facebook's right with photos. Because um, Twitter just bought an image recognition Twitter company. Twitter just bought that. Silly Facebook, Monkey, what yeah. was it called? Uh, Magic Pony. Magic Pony. <laughs> silly, silly Monkey. I don't know why people think Silicon Valley is juvenile, but go ahead, move along. Magic so, Pony. Magic of, Pony. Well, I mean, and, you know, there's been this mad rush in the past few years, and it just keeps accelerating for, for talent, right? There's mm-hmm. only a few, maybe some several thousand people, I think it's growing, but that are actually experts in this type of of AI, and that's where all these companies are. And Amazon, in particular, has been driving hard on this. Um, and then last week at uh, WWDC, Apple's developer conference, Apple actually unveiled. I was a bit surprised. You know, they they said, "Look at all these software features," and we're actually doing machine learning too. Um, right. Because the so rap everybody against, has, and Facebook obviously right. can't leave them out. Right. The, yeah. Ra- the rap against Apple has been um, because they are so committed to privacy and doing everything on their device, and that they haven't invested as much in AI as Facebook and Google and their their competitors, and so they might be left behind in this world. We're moving. Is towards. it a must have? Or a little bit of hype, or do they really are they really making strides? I, I think for, for Apple, I mean, maybe James will come on and disagree with me. I think it, it is a must-have. Right? I mean, the, a lot of the if you look at the future where Amazon Echo has sort of led the way, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to be interacting with devices in our home. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's a, you're no longer having screens, and if, if that's a world in which Apple should be terrified, right? Because if their their premise is basically selling hardware. Um, well, they, they have had Siri though. They have. I they've had, you know, you're in, right. I know, there's they certainly don't people that say like Siri is not. Not quite up to speed with with you know certainly with Google not. with Amazon, um, but you know Apple's has a lot of money and there are a lot of smart people there and and they have been investing in this and um, and then the downside of AI with you know what Elon was talking about and others not just Elon, Elon uh, Stephen yeah. Hawking every yeah, now no, and then you'll Hawking, hear a pretty uh, Bill prominent. Gates has put in right I mean I think there's definitely some concern about the idea that we're, you know, machine learning is basically training machines to learn from themselves and so it's you know you not have to connect the dots to see like. What Some people mean? try to compare it to a car. We just had someone on last week to compare it. Like it's like a car is is a robot and does mm-hmm. things by itself mm-hmm. now, and it's not scary. And that cars, you know, helped us more than killed us. Yeah. But I don't think it's quite the same idea. I mean, there are going to be some interesting ethical debates around self-driving cars, right? Where the self-driving car is sees a pedestrian on the road, and it's like up to killing the pedestrian or the past the person in the car, right? right. And how do you make you have to like kind of how does the algorithm decide what's ethical? Right, yeah, that'll be interesting. So to help us explain what's going on with AI, both the negatives and the positives, we're delighted to welcome James Cham, a partner at Bloomberg Beta. Hey, James, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, so we have lots to talk about. This has been, all, suddenly got a, a lot of attention because of Elon, I think, and others. Mm-hmm. Um, been talking about it a lot lately. So let's talk about why there's a big interest in AI. It's been around for 50 years. It's been in, in, our, in our popular culture much longer than that. So what's driving that? So I think that a big thing that has changed is that we now live in a world where both compute and storage is really, really cheap. Mm -hmm. And so in part, thanks to the efforts of folks at Google and Apple and lots of people in Silicon Valley, it's incredibly cheap now to build systems that were difficult to build about even 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so we now live in a world where we are able to process data much, much faster and cheaper. And so research that was impractical 50 years ago is now very easily doable by some high school students. Like a lot of things in computing. Right. So, but what is the the interest? I think there's, is there some great 
leap they've made or what's the or just that it's the latest i think it's super incremental right i mean when we talk about artificial intelligence what are we actually talking about it's a fair question i think most computer science guys would say that artificial intelligence is what we can't figure out quite yet and the moment that we figure it out then it just becomes another feature mm -hmm. right you know sort of you were to talk about toasters mm -hmm. at one point figuring out how to toast bread was really really difficult and people talked I about a robot a robot right. that would actually mm -hmm. figure out exactly how to get bread just right and the mm -hmm. moment it's doable it's a toaster and I think that's true about a lot of technology yeah but I guess there's the distinction is the terms um, supervised and unsupervised learning right my, mm -hmm. my very limited understanding but you have supervised learning which is essentially you know the basic programming if this then that um, and you train an algorithm and to do certain things and then what unsupervised is in this world of well, the, you don't need if this then that because the, the computers can actually do it themselves and that's isn't that that's massive right I mean that's a huge shift it, it is it is important and I think that the critical thing to realize here is that when we talk about artificial intelligence in general we've been playing with lots of it for a long time you know right. we back to Eliza we've had like these mm -hmm. fake psychologists who right. actually simulated a lot of what a psychologist does quite quite well yeah. for like 30 40 years and if you yeah. look at some of the chatbots that we're looking at right now those turn out to be very, very yeah, similar very in functionality, and yet they work really well, in part mm -hmm. because we as people want to anthropomorphize or And we're also used to the computing experience. And, and now we're used to the computing experience. And so that's like the core part of it, right? But now if you were talking about machine learning, so what is machine learning? Machine learning at its core is a different way of thinking about building software. Most software is really hard to write. Why don't you define these for people who aren't yeah. answering them? Machine learning, let's go through a few terminology. Okay, so if you were just to talk about software to begin with, right? So you've got a set of instructions and then data, mm -hmm. right? And typically what happens is you feed the data into instructions and then something comes out. Right. That's mm -hmm. the core of most software. What's interesting about machine learning then is that you have a core of instructions and then some data, then you take the data and the data actually, based on the results you get from the data, you modify the instructions. Mm -hmm. And that cycle is part of what makes it possible to get really, really impressive results very, very quickly. And I think that's what we're seeing right now for a lot of different fields where, you know, if you were to talk about a number of categorization problems or perception problems that were impractical to figure out 20 years ago, or even 10 years ago, or even to be honest, five years ago, they're now doable so that you can say that you'll have a a guy, you know, sort of in his back garage building a self-driving car in four months, right? And so those sort of things are now doable in part because the state of machine learning and also, to be honest, like the state of compute is so cheap and fast and you're right. able to pull these things so, off. So neural network. The right way to think about a neural network is when you think about categorization in, in general, right? Mm -hmm. You're just going to say, is this thing bigger or smaller than something else, right? Mm -hmm. So let's start there. And that's a pretty straightforward thing to do. And then the moment you add, let's say, additional dimensions, let's say you have an X dimension and then mm -hmm. Y dimension, and let's say you go to 100 of them, then it's impractical for our heads to think it through. Mm -hmm. And neural nets basically pattern on the ways that some people in the 60s thought the brain worked. Um, turns out to be a very good abstraction to figuring out how to make decisions and categorize things. What, and what's, what's the downside for neural nets? I mean, that's not, I know not everyone's a believer in them. Uh, you know, the downside for neural nets is that they're really hard to understand, right? You know, sort of this is something that we've seen for a long time in computer science. Neural nets are almost impossible to decipher in the sense that you really don't know what weights have changed or what parts of the little neural net have changed to come up with different results. And so it's really hard for engineers who, to be honest, are typically control freaks, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. to figure out how to modify or change. Right. And so I think that's really scary. And the problem for most computer scientists is that 
now it actually works. So the results are really, really good. And the CS theorists in general are still trying to catch up and figure out whether this is something that's a localized phenomena or whether there's new theory that they need to come up with. And computer vision? So computer vision is a more generalized version of what we're doing with neural nets, where now you're able to categorize and figure out you know, whether something fits, whether something's a cat or a dog, or mm -hmm. end up making, and that Don't that we have problem, to tell them that now? Well, so the a human just knows. So the amazing, well, the human doesn't know, of course. The human's Initially, trained. Initially, but right? then the doesn't need after, to learn again and again. It doesn't need to have data attached to it. And so the amazing thing now is that, like, sort of in a similar way that a baby is trained to know whether yeah. a cat is a cat, right. um, we can tag a bunch of data and then show them things that look similar to cats. And thanks to deep learning, you're able to consistently say that, oh, in fact, this is a cat. Yeah, Do you have to continually tag it though with computers too? Um, so as like cats look differently or things mm -hmm. change then you do need to of course re-tag things or figure out whether or not something's a dog. And this is the whatever. example that Google's used for years my theory is to, you know, to soften the blow of AI taking over the world. Let's look at these cute cats. Hey, cats, that's right. It does work. It does work. It's <laughs> yeah. hard to resist. Um, yeah. you, you guys, I mean, you guys at Bloomberg Beta have been investing in a lot of um, machine learning startups and companies. I'm kind of curious what type of companies you're, you're investing in and, and why? Um, you know, I think that from our perspective, the dirty secret around machine learning right now is that nobody knows what they're doing. Mm. At, what, that's the dirty secret of Silicon Valley. That's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. sure software is hard to write, yeah. and then machine learning is even harder to figure out. So mm -hmm. it's really hard to, like, even for a software developer to project plan around figuring out whether or not they're going to get results, and no one has any idea. Mm -hmm. um, or, or it's still, like, highly, highly probabilistic. Mm -hmm. And then the harder part there is that, like, business guys business guys actually have no idea when to use machine learning or when not to use machine learning. Mm -hmm. And um, in part because we just don't know. We don't have good theories as far as um, how to think about how to apply to the businesses. And that's when it's interesting, right? When nobody knows what's going on, that's the time to go around and find people and find smart people looking around at different parts of the market. Mm -hmm. And so at the code conference, Ginny Rometty, the IBM CEO, mm -hmm. did say she believes artificial intelligence, and in which she's banking her tenure on at this sure. point, um, will affect every business decision in five years. You're saying they don't know what they don't know. I mean, I think that here's the thing that we know. We know that it is now cheap enough to store basically every decision that's made by any business, right? And we also know that in theory, if you did a good job of categorizing things better, you probably make fewer dumb mistakes. Mm -hmm. And exactly when you should do that and when you shouldn't do that and how hard it is, nobody really knows. And we're trying to figure that out right now, right? And I think that's why it's exciting to be investing in machine intelligence. I mean, right now we're starting to see with, with Google and Facebook and you know, Facebook's Messenger and, and some with Apple and this machine learning actually kind of reaching consumers in their daily lives, mm -hmm. but it's still not really mainstream or widespread. Right. Um, when does that start to happen? So I disagree with most folks that the problem is a computer science problem. I actually mm -hmm. think it's a product problem. It turns out that if you do think about a core part of artificial intelligence is simulating personalities, mm -hmm. it turns out that basically all people do is try to impose personalities onto other things. Mm -hmm. And we're okay. very, very good at that. Like, you know, sort of even before Siri, you treated your iPhone almost like it was a person. You got mm -hmm. mad at it when yeah. it acted a certain way, mm -hmm. didn't act a certain way. And so I, I, I take issue with almost, but go ahead. <laughs> that's right. And so to me, we're already at the point where good product people are actually thinking clearly about simulating and or making us feel affection towards products, software products. And so I think we're already there for a lot of it. And I think a lot of the problems right now with conversational agents or talking to Siri or, you know, 
working through some of these problems are actually product problems. They're not really technology problems. We're actually there for a lot yeah, of it. Yeah, it was interesting about Google. I mean, Apple has Siri and Amazon has Alexa, but Google decided to call it just the assistant. They didn't personify it. Yeah, and I think in some ways that's a mistake on their part. Yeah. I think that... What a uh, surprise from the robot people of Google. I think they're very smart and brilliant about lots of things. Yeah. And I have nothing bad yeah. to say about they're Google so at all. They're so good at social I'm media, very, for very example. For them. I think um, it says social. They just like... I, but I do think that... In the case of the genius of Siri is that you treat it is not so much that that you ask it for things is yeah. that you actually feel like you have a relationship now with something that's part of Apple. Mm-hmm. And I think the genius of Alexa is that my child now thinks that they they have a relationship to Amazon in a way that they have no similar relationship to mm-hmm. YouTube. Yeah, I think Alexa is actually the most I don't feel Siri went far enough. For some reason, Alexa takes it. What do you imagine? And, and Why is that? So he, we're talking about products that people yeah. will use. And So I do wonder whether that's because it's on a phone in which you have to press a button as opposed to somewhere where you're just mm-hmm. talking into mm-hmm. the air, right? Mm-hmm. And I think certainly my children, if you're to sort of look at the you know, sort of younger people, how they think about it, you know, that actual act of having to do something before you speak to it, like that's not normal, right? Normally when we talk to people, we just start talking and they mm-hmm. listen in the case we have to call out their name. And I think the fact that Amazon was brave enough to release a product like that as, you know, sort of, it's a very hard thing to do. If you were to talk to people at Google or Apple, I'm sure they all wanted to release something like that, but they were mm-hmm. terrified around the privacy implications. And you've got to give credit to Jeff Bezos for saying, I don't really care. I'm going to release this and we'll yeah. see what happens. Well, we're also not quite as terrified of Amazon as we are of Google, say. So, which gets into the idea of control of information and who controls all this AI. And I think it's something that Elon was particularly nervous about was certain companies having all this AI technology and others sort of, sort of a have and have nots situation. I mean, you know, I think that over the history of this country, we've relied on bad decisions from big companies to unlock lots of value for lots of people. Mm-hmm. And I'll admit that it's possible that Google and Facebook will make no mistakes and be perfect in their execution. It's also probable that there'll be many, many great engineers and product people inside Google and Facebook right now thinking to themselves, you know, if only we did this, then we could really build something interesting. Mm -hmm. And who, for a variety of reasons, you know, whether they're business model or politics, won't be able to build it. What do you think about the open AI movement, the idea that everybody will have their artificial intelligence. Do you mean open AI as in the organization? Yeah, or do you I mean, just the, the, the concept, the, more the conceptual idea that it should be more shared because it's so important. I think it's really exciting. I think that the set of talent that they've pulled together is amazing. I think that the set of their research agenda, remember, it's not, open AI isn't so much competing against Google or no, Facebook, no, as much as it go, is saying that, you know, inside academia, you have a set of restrictions. And so your ability as someone who's quite talented to pull, you know, sort of pull off a multi-year effort to go after something really big is constrained, right? Mm-hmm. And so open AI's ability to go out and say that, hey, if you want to really work on interesting research for the next X years, come join us. I think like that's, that's what is actually happening at open AI. And then as far as like the question, I think there are a number of smart people who go out right now and say that, there are huge network effects around owning all of the data, right? And mm-hmm. there's this sense that, in part because both Google and Facebook and Apple are in control of much of our communications, that they're able to see a lot and they're able to store a lot. I think that that's true. I think we'll also be surprised, though, in the next five years when the next interesting consumer startup comes up that everyone ends up wanting to use, and they suddenly will say to themselves, oh my goodness, here we are. We've not just captured every single text message, but we've captured every single blink that someone's had, right? Mm-hmm. And in that yeah. case, we'll I mean, that's what Uber's done in some ways, right? I mean, they, they kind of came out of nowhere and then collected all this transportation data. That's right. That's right. 
Uh-huh. And, and I think like, the, so in some ways, consumer behavior leads the way, right? And so I do worry a little, I admit, I worry a little bit less about sort of monopoly effects. You know, we talk a lot of AI people, especially those who've been doing it for a long time, they always bring up the, and I love this concept, AI winters, mm-hmm. right? And I think um, this is back in the 80s, the 90s, yeah, there's this been a big lot of trend, and then it just kind of dies, right? We're funding... Um, just shrivels up right. constantly. Are, are you afraid of that as someone who puts money into AI companies? You're always paranoid, of course. But what's different now? You know, the AI winter in some ways is a very specific phenomena around both venture investing, but also like um, U.S. government investing, right? Mm-hmm. And for a variety mm-hmm. of reasons, they decided that artificial intelligence was a bad idea or talking about machine learning was a bad idea. Now, the truth is people continue to do interesting research, right? It's just that the companies weren't as successful. Mm-hmm. And now we're at an age where, you know, sort of ideas that were good 20 years ago are now good because it's cheap. It's cheap enough to pull off, right? And I think, um, sure, we'll have some sort of backlash. And there'll be plenty of mistakes that people make, especially around figuring out privacy and consumers' relationship to, to big brands. But long term, I bet you it's going to be really, really hard to put the genie back and, in the bottle. And not just concerns about an AI winter, but that an AI is scary, that it will create permanent winter Game for humanity. Winter, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Depicted in, in um, most of popular culture, it's all negative. It's never particularly positive, except perhaps the Jetsons. Right. But otherwise, it's all humans die kind uh, of thing. How do you yeah. look at that, and why do you think that is? So uh, I think that there are, of course, fairly straightforward theological reasons why people think about the end of the world, which mm-hmm. is to say we all die. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, yes, of course, like we think about different ways that, that the bad things can happen. Not if we upload our brains, we don't. Um, and, right. And so, so we'll, we'll see about that, right? And so I, I will admit that I worry less about the machines taking over than I do about more straightforward things like people being discriminated against because of some bad statistics or mm-hmm. decisions around building bad software that caused the electrical grid to go down, right? And I think those problems are actually the interesting problems that sit before us between the next, you know, sort of zero Why are so many years. prominent people so worried then? People um, you'd imagine know a little bit more than most people. Because I think that they're thinking probably a 10 to 50 year time frame. And to a certain extent, we've lived in this time of constant compounding for so long, for so you know, for the last fifteen years, that it's a little hard for people to imagine things get slower. But everything faces S curves, mm-hmm. right? You know, sort of at some point, we do end up in a world where resources get constrained, or the thing that was really easy to do becomes less easy. And I think so. That I think that's a big part of it. And I think part of it is also like we are always worried about the end of the world, and that's that's a, it's a good thing to worry about the end of the, the world. The response from a lot of the researchers has been, well, we're so far removed from we're such like baby steps right now. And yet, but to your point, that that's sort of what Elon Musk is saying, but maybe 50 years from now, will we still be at baby steps? And what does it mean when we've advanced so far and we're not prepared for that? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, look, I think it is hard to do re- moral reasoning about things that don't exist yet. I think that it was hard for people to decide to ban chemical weapons until people saw the horrific effects of it. I think there'll be some small mistakes that end up happening along the way and we'll end up making interesting policy decisions based on that. And like the privacy question is a super open question, Mm -hmm. right? You know, sort of do you own your own, like right now, how do consumers think about privacy? How do they think about the lessons that companies learn about? Do you think there is a trade-off between privacy and and effective AI? Comfort, yeah. I think making your life easier. Yeah. I think we've consistently chosen comfort and, and sort of better 
more valuable products over our sense of privacy. And I think that's... Because we are old brain creatures. That's why. <laughs> is, is that going to change? Well, also, I think that... Here's what I think will actually happen. I think that we, as a community, at some point, will realize the value of our data and probably figure out ways to make that cost something for companies. I think in general right now, a lot of companies are getting a free ride based on the fact that people don't realize that the data they're giving them is substantially improving the company. Yes. I, years ago, I, when uh, Steve Case gave a presentation talking about how they're using all the data they collect from their users, it was in front of advertisers. I got up and I said, I'd like $40, please, because right. you use my data and right. you're selling it back to them. Right. And I think that's... They didn't up, ever give me that. <laughs> I, but I think that's up to, like, activists. And there will yeah. be a set of businesses that will, like, make that clearer. But it is really hard to pull off right you now. You know, people right? like these things, so... Yeah. All right, in a minute, we're going to hear some questions about artificial intelligence from our readers and listeners. But first, today's show is brought to you by SoFi. SoFi is a new kind of finance company. They're helping people get out of student debt faster while saving them a lot of money. Refinancing student loans with SoFi saves members an average of $19,000. SoFi even partners with companies to help free their employees of debt. See how SoFi can help you at SOFI.com. Terms and conditions apply at SoFi.com slash legal. Every week, our readers and listeners send in their questions, comments, and complaints about tech topics. You can do that by tweeting with us at hashtag too embarrassed. This week, we asked our listeners for their questions about artificial intelligence. Mark, do you want to read the first question? Sure. The first one comes from Michael Anthony, uh, hashtag Micah Moore with an E. I keep hearing the internet won't exist in 10 years because AI. What does this mean? And then some sort of emoji face. <laughs> no mouth. No mouth emoji face. All right. Eyes agape. All right, so it won't be the internet. We won't go to a place like to search for things. It'll just be everything will be intelligent. My bet is that we will be even more connected 10 years from now than we are right now. And that the sort of. But will it be via an internet or something else? It'll be over some network of networks. It'll be over some network of networks. And, you know, sort of, I'm hoping that it'll be continued to be a public good and won't be owned by a single corporation. To a certain extent, that's. That's a decision that we as consumers make. But it won't be text-based, correct? It'll be voice-based? How do you look know, at it? I text is really good. Yeah. Text is really mm. good at a lot of things, right? Uh -huh. And so what, until we're able to implant memories or ideas into other people's brains, you know, text is just so efficient and quick uh -huh. and compressed. So the Internet's is here to stay. Or at least the text. I mean, I, I bet you that text will be with us for a long, long Wait, time. And, and you actually didn't mention augmented reality at all, but which is like a, it's an AI problem. But I mean, are you are kind of are you bullish on on the future in which like augmented reality will be everywhere? I think that augmented reality is really really hard to pull off. And requires a device. It requires a device, and the math behind it is really really hard. It's mm -hmm. going to take a long time. I think that there are very good questions around whether or not VR is going to make people sick. Right? Uh -huh. You know, sort of. Yeah. And oh, I think VR is here to stay. And like so movies. it's just a question. And so I think that there are certainly those are going to be key parts of our experience. But at the same time, you know, I think it's going to be a ways out there. And but going back to the question, does the internet replace AI? I actually think AI makes the internet stronger and tighter because as people, but you think it's text-based, not voice-based? I mean, it'll be a bunch of things. I right? remember the you know the internet initially was just text, but it's text and images and video yeah. and a bunch of things. Yeah. So okay. I, yeah. All right, next one, Mark, please. Ask. Sure. Uh, this one's from Evan C. Sharp. What are the fears, if any, with AI that are held up by people moving te the technology forward? That will screw it up. I mean, there are a whole set of, like, really important decisions, both around policy and ethics and how to build the systems, right? That, so what do we need to not screw it up in policy, for example? Um, we need technical people to talk to government people to talk to business people in clearer ways right now. I think there's lots of... If you were to talk to the average... CS professor, he'd say that there's, he or she would say that there's lots of low-hanging fruit 
and there are lots of policy ways that we should be thinking about it. And also critically, there's a lot of magical thinking, right? There's magical thinking on the part of policy guys as they think about AI, in part because they don't have a really good understanding of what it can and can't do right now. Meaning, what's their magical thinking? That's I mean, I think there's like lots of fear that, oh, well, one day this will, you know, you can end up in a world where people are far more concerned about the robots taking over yeah. than what to do when like part of the electrical utility grid is off by some percentage and does that cause other problems later on, right? Mm -hmm. And I think those problems, those are actually the interesting problems right now. Right. Yeah. Well, I can answer. I mean, I know that people inside Google do have debates about the robots taking over. Yeah. <laughs> and, they, and they sold that, they and sold the company, yeah, Boston Dynamics, the, the humanoid robots. And that well, was but that's, issue. Okay, well, I mean, that's a whole, well, that's a separate but, but issue. I think but that's a, that's a bigger question around also just the use of like, weaponizing. Yeah, they were military robots. Yeah. Right? So I think weaponizing AI is like a really good question that's incredibly unclear right now mm -hmm. because on the one hand you'd say, gosh... Um, what a good choice. It works well. Right? Well, no. You'd say that like it's terrifying, right? Yes, because so, like, there's no human interaction. And, right. And that's the, that's the fear, right? Yeah. But that's I think said, that like, was the movie War Games, if you recall. Um, that's but right. Matthew Broderick <laughs> saved the world by a simple game of yeah, tic-tac-toe. That's all we need. All we need is a, a game good, of tic-tac-toe and then the computers. Right? You know what yeah. would really happen? He'd play tic-tac-toe and said, now I'm going to kill you anyway. <laughs> Thank you for the lesson. Um, all right. Next question is from Mishra Naveen at yours truly, Mishra. Uh, do we need a definition of intelligence or can we abstract it to the Turing test? Should we ask the neurobiologists? So you guys know what the Turing test is? Yes. Okay. No, like there are so many different types of intelligence, right? And there's mm -hmm. so many different ways about thinking about what is smart or not smart that I think that for CS folks to try to go after like a human definition of general intelligence sort of misses the point in the same way that you know, the Wright brothers, if they built a bird, they would have missed the point of aircrafts. Right, right. Oh, very good. I'm going to just leave it at that. That's a really good answer. <laughs> so we should not ask the neurobiologists. Go ahead. Um, sure, the next one is from Julia Clavin. Uh, the handle is Julia Clavin, uh, Clavian, C-L-A-V-I-E-N. And uh, she sounds much smarter than I am. Uh, because her question is, do you anticipate AI-fueled analytics progress will lead to causal determinism being generally accepted? If so, how soon? You know, I think... Let's think about that. So causal determinism, meaning that we now will think that the world is not random, mm -hmm. I guess, right? Right. Mm -hmm. and, and, I mean, Patterns. I, I think that what we'll actually end up seeing is that there are so many different inputs to make a decision that we'll actually have a better appreciation of how random the world actually is, right? Mm. Remember, a core part of machine learning is a bunch of probabilities, right? And that these probabilities are going to shift constantly as we try to improve the algorithms. And as we put in more data. All right, the next one uh, from Thomas at DCRCK. How will AI change media and broadcasting? I'd like to know. I'd like to have an yeah, AI we, do this. Are we, when are we going to be putting up jobs? I can't wait. <laughs> no, it's going to make you guys all the more important. Right. I think that, you know, the one way to think about AIs is that they're really, really good at making certain things more efficient, right? Yeah. And the moment so that you can, example. the moment that you can decide um, exactly the right way to compress or summarize this podcast that we've just done, right? Mm -hmm. That there'll be a whole set of instructions around doing it, and you'll have like some way of measuring whether or not this actually communicates the highlights of the talk or whatever. Mm -hmm. And once that happens, then you let the machines take over, and you know, sort of the. The research that you need to do, parts of that will be summarized and easier to do and automated in ways yeah, that you can... Yeah, too much of journalism is anecdotal. 
Um, and it's usually yeah, but, false. Well, and, and false. but like the process of going around and talking to people, you'll have more time to like have smarter conversations with people to figure out what's actually going on. But there's also a fear. I mean, you could say that machines have taken over with the Facebook newsfeed algorithm. And there's certainly a fear in, in media that, that the newsfeed is so powerful. I think and we as consumers and people are constantly looking for something real, right? And so we're always on the search. And the moment that Facebook is no longer feels like it's giving us real and interesting results, mm-hmm. we will move on to something else. And I think that that search for the real really means that search for the human. And I think that's constantly dynamic. All right. Optimistic. All Should right, I take the last, last one? one? Yes, please. Uh, this one's from Michael, MindHealer111. Uh, it's not really a question, but more of a point. Uh, it's a good point. It's a really good point. Artificial sounds so fake. They should change it to Android intelligence. I know a company that will be happy about that. And then just pour more into my phone for upgrades. <laughs> artificial intelligence. It's true. You know, it really artificial. is. Like, you think about a lot of AI is, yeah, so you know the history, right? But a lot of it is like computational statistics, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, yeah. And what would you call it if it wasn't artificial intelligence? I bet you one day a lot of it will be statistics and a lot of it will be called programming. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. But that's not really cool. Name. I know. But I'm, I'm just mean <laughs> so, like it's going to be mainstreamed and like. But big brain. Big or brain. Something yeah. Like that. Yeah. yeah, know, yeah. Or, no, no, that's true. They, Google had like the brain team and they I, dropped that. I, I think there's this idea of machine intelligence, right? You know, which I think is in some ways a better term though because it is actually in that case driven by it, computation. Yeah. Right? No, I mean like AI has like a branding problem, right? I mean, I think the, 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 I'm, I keep going back to Google because I can't help it, but the Go game in, in Seoul, Korea, was this huge, like, pretty good marketing success, right? Because mm-hmm. they were able to say, like, here's this really, like, really fascinating way of applied AI. They they beat the world champion in Go. It's never been done before. It's sort of benign. Like, they're not destroying human right, life. Right, and I think and, in some ways the right way to think about it is less that the fact that it beat a great Go player, mm-hmm. as much as that it taught all the people who know how to play Go a whole new set of strategies that no one had ever thought about uh-huh. before. And I think that's the exciting thing, and that's actually what machines are going to be really good at. I think at. we should call it Skynet. Um, <laughs> no, um, the, uh, but in, in a lot of ways, it also replaces jobs. We, I've been talking about this a lot, the idea we've had different people coming on talking about how once these systems get into place, you don't need radiologists to look at, they can look at five or 600 photos of someone's brain and figure out what the diagnosis is with much more accuracy than dozen radiologists. You can think of job after job after job classification that gets replaced. And I know what tech people answer is, we'll have new opportunities, just like when the car came and there were no more horses or something like that. But in this case, it seems like they can do a lot of the jobs and there are no replacements necessarily for many people because a lot of it is repetitive and Um, between robots and artificial intelligence, no one's going to be working. Okay, so let me make a couple observations. First, if you were to talk to my grandfather about what I do right now, he'd look at me and he'd say, wait, so you're not working in some field and he'd say you know you're just playing and like it sounds like you're spending your whole day playing right and so our notions of what work is Mm -hmm. radically shift generation to generation Uh, first observation second observation is economists don't know how to apply machine learning and when it replaces people and when it doesn't replace people it does replace a whole set of tasks Mm -hmm. right there are a whole set of tasks become easier in your day or fundamentally different and the implications of that are like are like in general positive the bigger question around labor dipl- displacement, on the other hand, like that is a very real concern, right? And I think that we both as a country and society, like that's the actual interesting policy question sitting before us. Like what do we do about that and how do we think about it? Mm-hmm. And um, How do we train I, people to do something else? I, I don't know. It's, you know, sort of how do we train people to do something else or how do we just think about that widespread displacement? And, you know, sort of if you thought about 
the promise of NAFTA, right? I think people, economists all over the world would now say that they underestimated the cost on people mm -hmm. and how hard it was going to be for generations. Like long term, two generations from now, we'll be better off because of NAFTA. Do you think like, people in tech are thinking about this problem enough? I think that policy people, I think that Google, I think big companies, tech companies are all seriously thinking about this because I think that like that question, which is not the, will the robots take over, yeah. but rather, what will happen well, to society well, when well, nobody has yeah. jobs? What is the industrial policy for the United States? Like that is a serious That's the real question. Takeover. You're already seeing the effects of NAFTA on this election. I, I think that. Yeah, what's Trump's policy on AI? Yeah. That's right. That's Does he right. even know what it is? <laughs> I don't even know. Right I will be asking the Trump campaign. I'm going to be asking all the candidates. I don't think they on probably time. do. I can't imagine they're thinking of it even for one second, but maybe they are. I, no comment. That's okay. You don't have to. <laughs> I'll do it. They aren't thinking about it in any way whatsoever. I'm pretty certain. We'll see about that, but I will be asking the questions. Anyway, thank you so much for coming. This has been fascinating. It's a really fascinating area and something that's going to be, I think, the next wave of computing is really around a lot of this stuff. Yeah, and it's hard, and no one knows what they're doing. Well, which is, I, I like which this idea. I'm right? getting into VCing now. <laughs> if that's the criteria, I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly positioned to do it well. Anyway, thank you so much for coming, and thank you, Mark. This has been another great episode of Too Embarrassed to Ask. If you enjoyed the episode as much as we did, which we did, be sure to subscribe to the show, and leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Too Embarrassed to Ask. And subscribing is great. You'll be the first to listen to new episodes every Friday or catch up on previous episodes where we answer all of the tech questions that our listeners have been too embarrassed to ask that's itunes.com slash too embarrassed to ask or you can also subscribe on google play music tune in or stitcher or listen to every episode at recode.net slash podcast we don't care how you listen to it just listen to it and while you're there you should check out our other podcasts like recode decode recode replay and recode media with peter kafka and just a quick reminder that on recode replay we have the audio of every interview from the 2016 code conference including many interviews where they talk about artificial intelligence everyone talked about it facebook cheryl sandberg uh, Elon Musk, uh, Jeff Bezos from Amazon. Seriously, all of them are free, which is the best price of all. Mark, which one should people listen to first? And from uh, your point uh, of view, obviously the Elon Musk one is. I think yeah. and Malcolm Gladwell recently was also phenomenal. Ah, uh, yes, indeed. All right. If Lauren were here, she would remind you that The Verge also has some great podcasts for your listening pleasure. Walt Mossberg and Nilay Patel co-host Control Walt Delete. Nilay also co-hosts The Verge cast. Chris Plant hosts What's Tech. And Liz Lopato and Emily Lichito host Verge ESP. Don't forget to tweet your questions ahead of time at Recode with the hashtag Too Embarrassed. Thanks for listening. And James, thanks for coming. And Mark, thanks for stepping in for Lauren. I think you should have found a replacement. Yes. Lauren, you better be listening from Hawaii. And I thank have better you. better hair. <laughs> you do have better hair. You have better hair than everybody. And thank you again from our sponsors, Casper and SoFi. Also, thanks to Digital Media, which distributes the show. We'll be back next week to answer more questions that you've been too embarrassed to ask. Tune in then.